You're listening to the Scottsdale Podcast, which features our Sunday sermons. If you would like to learn more about what God is doing in the life of Scottsdale Baptist Church, visit our website at scottsdale.org. Enjoy and be challenged by the word of the Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to Scott's Hill. I feel so embarrassed being up here this morning, but uh, thank you for joining with me in my faux pas as I came up a little bit too early, but I'm so glad to have you. If you're here and as a first time guest, my name is Phil Ortigo. I serve as a senior pastor here. We're happy to have you. You can get some information, as Garrett said, about who we are from our Connections desk. We want to encourage you to do that. Tonight, we have a members meeting we want to remind you about that is going to take place at five o'clock in here, followed by a meal at the end of this um, service, we are going to, I'm going to call us into an official business session. And those of you who are covenant members after that will have the opportunity to go um, participate in a vote that we have going on this morning and we'll reveal that information tonight. So covenant members, pay attention to that as we wrap this out. Um, my wife and I are leaving Tuesday, if the Lord's willing, for Rome. We're going to be flying to Rome, and then we're going to be doing a Greek Isles tour. And um, I've always wanted to go in those areas because I really want to go find the prison where Rome, where Paul was in Rome. And we'll get to go to Athens, and I want to see Mars Hill where he preached at the Areopagus and all of those things. And a number of wonderful um, opportunities that we have. But we're going to be gone for two weeks, beginning Tuesday. And And next week, this series will be concluded by Garrett Burns. He's going to wrap this up as he brings us into this last part of Renew. And then after that, we're going to start a new series for the summer called Summer on the Mount. It is going to be a breakdown of the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon of Jesus, a Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to unpack that for nine weeks as we go through the summer months. It's going to be wonderful because they're standalone um, passages, but they can be tied together as well. So we know in the summer months, people are hit and miss and all of this. So we want you to know that through the month, through the summer months, we're going to have this series working through it. And then at the end of that, we're going to do a four week series. And in September, we're going to start a book series again, like we've been doing every year. So we've got the rest of the year planned out and into 2024. But today we're going to wrap up I'm not wrap up. I'm sorry. I'm going to do the third part of this series on renew. And um, this has been one of those topics we've been talking about because we all know that there are times in our lives where we can grow cold and we can grow stale. And there are areas of our life that we need to refresh. We need to renew. And the same is true with our walk with Christ. I read a story about a missionary who took his wife and two boys in East Africa landed up in a small village and they poured their life into the people of that small village in East Africa. As they began to minister to the family, the spirit of God began to move rapidly and mightily in there. People were coming to faith in Christ. Even the, the local witch doctor surrendered his life to Jesus. God was doing such a work. They established a church there. Everything looked to be very promising, but the missionary contracted a disease And the doctor said, the only way you're going to be cured of this is go back home to the States. So he took his wife and his two little boys, and it was sad. Everybody was brokenhearted. He had to come back to the States. And while here, he was cured, but he got a position in a local church and began to pour his life into the ministry in the States. And as happens with time, people lose contact with one another. One of his two little boys grew up, but could never forget that mission field. 
He kept thinking about, I need to go back there. The work wasn't finished. So he finished up seminary and he decided he's going to go back to that little village. And 26 years later, he makes his way into that village and he's walking into the village. There is this eerie silence. Everyone in there is just looking at him, staring at him. He's thinking, I know by now that they have seen plenty of white missionaries in this area, so it's not that. And so he couldn't figure out why was everybody staring at him. Finally, one of the elders of the village came up to him, looked at him, and hugged him. And he was confused. And the, the, the elder looked at this young missionary and says, you're your father's son, and you've come back to finish the work. He said, how can you possibly know that I'm the son of the missionary? He's tall. I'm shorter than he is. He's got brown hair. I got blonde hair. He's got brown eyes. I have blue eyes. I wear glasses. To this day, he doesn't wear glasses. We look nothing alike. How could you tell? And all the people started chuckling. And they said, it's simple. You walk like your father. You walk like your father. Now, I know that's true of us when we begin to think about our moms and our dads. And, and I find myself standing around a lot of times like my dad. I'll be doing something. I'll say, oh my goodness, I'm standing just like my dad used to stand. Or I'll walk or, or and, and this is becoming more of a thing for me. I look in the mirror every day and I think, when have I become my dad? But you know, the thing is, we may walk and imitate those of our parents and those people who raise us, but the greatest imitator that we can follow is God himself. And the heart of God for his children is to say, I want you to walk like me. I want you to walk like me in such a way that when people see you, they identify you with me. We're talking about in this series of being renewed. We talked about being renewed in our minds and our thinking needs to change and be governed by the truth of scripture. We talked about being renewed last week in our hearts and in our worship of God needs to be restored and refreshed. But once you and I have our thinking changed and our hearts changed, our thinking and our hearts should leave us to right living. Orthodoxy always leads to orthopraxy. And that means when I learn the truth of God's word and God is doing a work and renewing my mind and my heart, the obvious thing should change is my life. And so that means how should we live? As we continue with this series, I want us to see how God wants us to walk like he walks. And when we get to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 21, the Apostle Paul gives us in this passage four specific strides that God has. And if we want to walk like him, we are to imitate these kinds of strides, these steps, his gait in this world. So people will easily identify that we are our father's children. So open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter five, verse one. We're covering 21 verses and you're thinking there ain't no way today that's gonna happen. But here's what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give them to you in a nutshell. We can't go real deep in them, 
but I want you to get enough of each one of these to understand this is how God wants us to walk. Now, the Apostle Paul is gonna use the word walk three times in this passage, and he implies it a fourth time. And every time he uses the word walk, he's not talking about a mode of motivation that moves your body along. That's not what he's talking about. The word walk always refers to a manner of life. So when he says you're to walk like our father, we are to live our lives in a manner of his character. So our lives are to reflect these four things in all that we do. And this is where he begins. In chapter five, verse one, he says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, the word imitator is interesting. It's the word mimic. It's the word that we get for copy. Paul is saying that we are to copy God. Now, he says it as beloved children. I love this. Because as children love to mimic adults, as children love to mimic their parents or their grandparents, we are to learn to mimic God, our Father. And we're to walk like that. You know, I can remember when my kids were growing up and how they used to mimic me. And those things happened a long time ago, but a more recent thing that happened was I was with Joe, my son-in-law, and with my two grandkids, Hudson and Hadley. And we ventured into the Bass Pro Shop one day, and we were walking around in there. He had Hadley, I had Hudson. And so we came up to the, the fish tank. And if you've been in a Bass Pro Shop, there's this huge fish tank. And they've got all kinds of fish in there. They've got snapping turtles. They've got um, alligator guard that's got teeth. They've got catfish. They've got bass. They've got um, all kinds of carp and stuff like that. So we're all looking at them, and they're just with their faces up on them. Well, Joe says, let's go up here. We could get right up on top of it and look into it. So we go up, and we're looking into it. And, and at the top is about right here for me. And I'm holding Hudson just like this. Joe's got Leslie down there, Leslie, um, Hadley, it's a little Leslie, and uh, he's got Hadley down there, and all of a sudden, I'm just looking, and this big carp comes up. His head comes out of the water, and I just touched him, boop, and he went back down. Another one came up, and I went, boop, he went back down, and Hudson's just laughing. I thought, I just live to make my grandson laugh, right? Another one comes up, boop, I touched him on the head, he went back down. Hadley did something, I looked down there, and about that time, he put his little fingers in the water and wiggled them, and there were four little worms that the fish saw. This big carp came up and grabbed his whole hand. Man, Joe is freaking out, Hadley's crying, Hudson's screaming, I'm beating that fish in the top of the head. Boom, boom. None of us was ever the same after that. That carp said, I'll never eat a worm again. Man, they were so mad at me. And Joe said, didn't you know, didn't you know that he's gonna do exactly what you do? Well, he calls Leslie and the first words out of her mouth, not cool, dad. <laughs> and then my wife said, what were you thinking? Okay, I wasn't thinking, okay, okay. This is the woman who's questioned me about being and taking care of my grandkids when last week she was watching them and Hudson fell in a lake with her. So we're not gonna be able to babysit our kids anymore, <laughs> our grandkids, but we are certainly open to taking care of yours if you'd be welcome. <laughs> the, listen, the, the, the kind of imitation that Paul's talking about here is the kind 
that never has any flaws in it because we're talking about God. So how are we to walk like God? If we're going to renew our walk, our thinking has changed, our heart and our worship has changed, how are we to keep in step and walk like his character? Let me give you four ways that we see God walks, that he wants us to walk. Here's the first one. I'm to walk in love. I'm to walk in love. Of all the ways that the Apostle Paul can start this, he starts it by saying this in verses one and two. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Walk in love. Now, here's what we gotta understand. When we talk about God is love, we're not just saying God loves, although he does. And God always loves, but his nature is love. The very nature of our heavenly father is that of love. Just as he is holy, just as he's righteous, just as he's just, he is love. Everything about him is love. First John 4, 7 and 8, John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And if you and I are going to walk like our Heavenly Father, it begins with walking in love. Now that word love is agape love, which means seeking another person's highest good. It is living in such a way that I'm going to seek other people's highest good over my own. Now, how do we do that? Love is such a broad term, but fortunately for us, we see two ways that God demonstrates how he walks in love and how we are to walk in love. Number one is this. It is a life of giving. It is a life of giving. If you're going to walk in love, you're going to be a giving person because that's the heart of God. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for you. So he gave himself up for us. Jesus gave to us. Then he goes on and says this, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, How does the love of God abide in him? God has always been in the business of giving. In Exodus, he gives life. I'm sorry, in Genesis, he gives life. In Exodus, he gives the law. In Joshua, he gives the land. And we see in Psalms, he gives comfort. In Proverbs, Solomon, Song of Psalms, and Ecclesiastes, he gives wisdom. In the Judges, he gives warnings. In the gospel, he gives us his son. In the book of Acts, he gives us the Holy Spirit. In the epistles, he gives us doctrine. And in the book of Revelation, he gives us the promise that he's coming back. He is always giving. And he is always, always demonstrating his love through giving. Let me tell you, if you and I want to reflect the heart of God, we love people in such a way that we give. We give our time. We give our talents. We give dignity to people, but the greatest thing we give is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we really love people, 
It is a heart that I am able to give to people who need. But it's not only just a life of giving, it's a life of forgiving. You see, we're okay with giving, but when it comes down to the part of forgiving, that's where we get hung up a little bit. An offering and sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Jesus gave himself as an offering and sacrifice, which means this. He gave himself as a means of atonement. He gave himself as a means of forgiveness to you and me. And when Jesus walked in love, not only did he love the most unlovely people around him, he forgave the very people who crucified him. He walked in this heart of forgiveness. God models that in his own life. The Lord, the Lord God who keeps loving kindness for a thousand, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. And even Jesus, when he was on the cross, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then he says this, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Now, here's the point. If Jesus is able to go to the cross and he's able to give the most heinous sin committed towards him, and he has set the standard of forgiveness, who are you and I to refuse to forgive others who have never and will never offend us the way we have offended God. You see, I think that today, there might be some individuals here that maybe the reason you've grown cold in your walk with Jesus is because you have an unforgiving heart towards someone. Maybe you've grown cold in your walk with Jesus because you're refusing to let go and release that person who has hurt you and offended you. And the God of heaven sent his son for you to die to forgive you, and you're walking in his grace. You're walking in his freedom. You're walking in his forgiveness, but you refuse to give the same to someone who mistreated you in a way that pales in comparison to what you did to Jesus. And he's saying now, Forgive, forgive. And forgiveness is releasing a debt. It's setting people free. It's saying, you owe me nothing. And just as my heavenly father has forgiven me for the things that I've done to offend him, I am going to forgive you and set you free. You owe me nothing. See, if you're gonna walk like God, we walk in a way that we constantly are giving to others and we walk in a way of forgiving others. So that's the first thing. Walking like God is walking in love. But here's the second thing. If I'm gonna walk like God, I am to walk in light. It's one thing to walk in love, but it's another thing that we're to walk in light. Here's what he says in verse eight. We gotta jump all the way down to verse eight. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We are told in scripture that God is light. In 1 John chapter 1 verse 5, and this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all, which means this, if God is light, he is the antithesis of darkness. Darkness is everything that reflects unrighteousness of decay and of death. Because God is light, there is no hint of any of those things in him. 
There is never a hint of anything inappropriate in God. James tells us that he doesn't even cast a shadow by his turning because he is light. Just as he is love, he is light. And then John says, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we're walking in the light of the Lord Jesus, we've been forgiven of our sin and we demonstrate that by a changed life. My life demonstrates whether I'm walking in the shadows or whether I'm living in the light of Jesus. And if we're called to walk like God, we're called to walk in the light. Now, what does that mean? In verses three to five, the apostle Paul gives us many illustrations of what it means to walk in darkness. I'll put them in the positive here. And if we're gonna walk in light, let me give you five things we've got to do. Number one, we have to have a life of control. We gotta live a life of control. He says, but sexual immorality and all impurity must not even be named among you. One of the things of walking in light is we walk in sexual purity. In this world and in our world, we have gone crazy with the whole concept of sex, haven't we? And you think about how crazy our world is today. God's plan for humanity and sexuality is very clear in the book of Genesis. God created a man, he created a woman, and he brought them together in a covenant relationship called marriage. And he gave to them a wonderful gift called sex, and that sex is to take place within the bounds of a covenant relationship between one man and one woman, period. And for generations, people held to that. But then what happened was people say, you know what? I no longer want to have sexual relationships within a covenant relationship. I want it outside. And then cohabitation took place. And then, no, 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 that's not enough. Let's not just cohabitate. Let's have sexual relationships with the same sex. So homosexuality began to take place. And now we've normalized it. And now that's not enough. Oh, no, no, no. Let's be able to go both ways. So now it's bisexual. And for parents, you might want to know this, that one of the things that are vogue in middle school is for your middle school students to declare that they're bisexual. That's the thing that's going around because that's the cool thing to be now. And then what do we do? We transitioned all the way over here to transgenderism. And now we know not. And we're so confused that what's happening is those people who walk according to God's plan for sexuality are considered to be abnormal. And all of culture now is normal. But that does not give us the right to walk in darkness. Listen, church, that means this. If we're going to walk in the light as he's in the light, we need to walk in the truth of God's word. We need to stand in the midst of that. We've got to say that this is true and we're not moving away from it. And the whole culture can say, you know, that if you commit yourself to sexual purity, either before marriage or in marriage, you're abnormal. I would say, fine. I would rather be abnormal in the eyes of the world and to be holy in the eyes of my God with whom one day I will give an account. And that's where we walk. And we walk in that light, which means we gotta live a life of control. That's the mark of a person who belongs to Christ. But not only a life of control, a life of contentment. 
He says there can't be covetousness in you. The word covetous means long-reaching, grabbing for something that you want that you can't have. That's the picture of it. And he's saying that we are to be content. In other words, if I'm walking in a light, I'm content with all the things that God has done. He has blessed me with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. He has given me everything I need for life and for godliness in Christ. He has forgiven my sins. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And when I die, I will be with him forever. What else do I need in this world? I'm content. I've got Jesus and eternity. And so in all these things, I can walk in this light with full confidence that he will never let me down. Third thing is a life of carefulness. He says, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk. Now he's getting into the way we communicate with one another. The word filthiness here is, is the word that, that, that deals with um, um, unclean language. It talks about profanity. It talks about a filthy talk. It talks about off-colored jokes. It talks about all those kinds of things. In, in other words, it's, 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 you, you may have heard this, it's talking a lot about the French language. You know what I mean? Somebody cusses in front of you and they say, oh, pardon my French. I hear that all the time. People will say stuff in front of me and they say, oh, preacher, pardon my French. I'll say, sound like profane English to me. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty clear, I understood it. But it says to avoid that and to even avoid off-colored jokes. And then this other word, foolish talk, the word literally is moron. Don't talk like a moron. Don't talk about things that you don't know anything about. Don't be like our politicians today. In other words, speak truth to all of these things. So he's saying people who are walking in light are walking with clean language that honors one another and honors God. And they're talking about things that they know and they can substantiate. So a life of carefulness. How about this one? A life of consistency. He said there shouldn't be any crude joking. Some of your translations say coarse joking. Now, Paul is not against laughing. I think we need to laugh. Laughter is the medicine for the soul. And I'm looking at you, some of you this morning, some of y'all so sick, y'all need to laugh a little more. And we need to laugh. We need to enjoy the wonderful things of God. But what he's talking about here, coarse jesting, is the kind of joking that takes something pure and moves it to something impure. It's taking it like you meant something good and somebody turns it into some innuendo, some sexual comment. That's the stock and trade of late night TV. And we're not to be like that. We're to be different. And here's the last one. This would be a, a life of commitment. He says there's no idolatry. And Paul relates all of these things to idolatrous works. Look at verses five through seven. He says this, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. He says, you can be sure that people who are living a lifestyle of habitual lifestyle of sexual immorality, they have no place in the kingdom of Christ. Then he goes on. 
He says, let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Don't let anybody fool you. Oh, they're gonna tell you all these things are normal. They're gonna tell you these are the things where life is. These are the things where fun is. These are the things where you will be free. These are the things where you can be who you want to be and be filled with joy. They're full of lies. I've dealt with so many young men who have been lied to about homosexuality. They've been convinced that if they come out of the closet and embrace their own feelings, they will be free and they will have joy and they will know who they are. And all of those young men deal with suicidal thoughts, depression, and try to medicate that through all kinds of substances through alcohol and drugs, it's empty. It's a lie. And so what is Paul saying? He's saying, listen, when you walk in the light, don't listen to the darkness because the darkness will lead you to deception and death. And what else did he say? Verses 11 through 14, take no part of the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. How do you expose them? He says it, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that are done in secret. But when anything is exposed in the light, it becomes visible for anything that becomes visible is light. When you and I walk in the light and live like God's light and righteousness and holiness and darkness is around us, we automatically expose the darkness, not by pointing our fingers, not by judging them, not by calling them out, not by being rude and crude, but just my lifestyle in itself brings a conviction about holiness. And what does it do? It impacts and exposes the darkness of their own life and they look at themselves and say, man, I'm not at all like you. I'm not at all like you, but I really wanna be. When I was in college, every day when I went to class, I picked out a couple of guys that I said I'm gonna build a relationship with and one of them's name was Vincent. Vincent came to class every single day with his clothes wrinkled. I've never seen somebody could have wrinkled clothes like Vincent did. His eyes were bloodshot. He didn't, his hair was a mess. It was clear that he slept in his clothes all night. He'd walk into the class and he was, had a hangover. I mean, this guy was a mess. And every day he'd see me and I'd take notes and everything. And I'd talk with Vincent afterwards. And I'd say, Vincent, tell me about your life. Tell me. And he'd tell me all the emptiness of his life. And, and I would share Christ with him. Well, we, we finished that class and I guess the semester come by. And one day Vincent pulls up in his car and he runs to me. I was going to say he runs me down, but that made it sound like he ran over me. He jumps out of his car and he runs to me. He says, Phil, 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 I need to talk to you. I said, Hey, Vincent, it's good. See you. What's up? He says, man, I got to talk to you. You're the only person I know that has his stuff together about God. Except he didn't say stuff. And, uh, <laughs> and I said, let's sit and let's talk. And I had the opportunity to l- talk to him and pray with him and give him counsel. And we met together and Vincent gave his life to Christ. It's the darkness will consume and destroy you, but walking into light brings exposure. Then he says this. He says, awake, O sleeper, 
and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. We're living in a world right now that's woke. And we see the problems with that. God doesn't want his church to be woke. God wants his church to be awake and empowered by the spirit of God. And how do we demonstrate the awakeness of our lives? By walking in love, by walking in light. Let me ask you this question. You're to be light. Jesus says you're the light of the world. If you're to be light, then one of the things that light does is exposes darkness. If you're at work and a group of people are talking about something that's inappropriate or a dirty joke or something that is off color, what will they do when you walk up? They will do one of two things. They will stop because you're a believer and you're walking in the light and they'll say, oh, oh, I'm sorry, we can't say that. Or they're going to be perfectly comfortable to keep sharing it with you because you share the same thing with them. What would they do? That's a mark of whether or not you're living your life in the light of the Lord Jesus. So what do we do? We walk in light. We walk in love. Here's a third one. I'm going to walk in wisdom. I'm going to walk in wisdom. I've got nine minutes. Okay, here we go. I'm going to walk in wisdom. And how does he say that? This is what he says in verses 15 through 17. Therefore, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. There's a big difference between wisdom and knowledge and education. There's a big difference between that. Knowledge is the accumulation of information. Wisdom is the proper application of truth. And there's a big difference in that. We're living in a world right now that is at more than any other time in the history of humanity gaining more knowledge than we have ever gained. Let me give you an illustration. In 1900, it took us 100 years to double our knowledge. By 1945, it only took us 25 years to double our knowledge. In 1982, it only took us 18 months to double our knowledge. Today, it is less than 12 months that we double our knowledge. And a recent article that came out this week that said because of computers and because of AI, we can now double our knowledge, get this, every 12 hours. Unbelievable. The amount of knowledge that we're able to gather. But listen, knowledge and wisdom are two different things. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said, education without instruction in religious and moral principles will merely result in a race of clever devils. Isn't that true of our culture? And then we're doing all of this stuff. And then what we understand is that God is wise. Proverbs uh, 3.19, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. God designed everything by his own wisdom. And he never once asked man for his opinion. Never. And he never will. So when it comes to walking in knowledge and walking in wisdom, what do we do? Paul says three things. Number one is to be a serious walk. He says, be careful how you walk. 
When we're walking in wisdom, be careful how you walk. Don't buy into every little lie, every little piece of information, every little piece of fake news. Boy, isn't there enough of that going around these days? But walk in wisdom. Be careful. Be careful. Pay attention. Discern. Listen carefully to what you hear and don't buy into every single thing. It's a serious walk. Secondly, it is a strategic walk. He says, make the most of your time. Make the most of your time. You to be strategic with your time. Let me give you some stats that were pretty alarming. The average person lives 77 years, 28,000 days, 670,000 hours of 40 million minutes. You've got 40 million minutes. How do we spend our time? The average person spends his time this way, two years in a lifetime on the phone, some of you more. Three years in a lifetime in the bathroom, some of you more. One year in a lifetime getting dressed, some of you less, some of you much more. Nine years in a lifetime watching television, seven months in a lifetime with quiet time with God. Seven months and 77 years. So we need to be strategic with our time, which means this, we buy up the time. I want to spend my time making sure I'm doing the things that will Honor God and impact people. I mean, that means whatever you're doing. That doesn't mean you can't go to the beach. It doesn't mean you can't go on vacation. It doesn't mean we can't go to Rome. It doesn't mean we can't do any of those things. What it does mean is this. Whatever I'm doing, figure out a way in the process of that to be able to be strategic with my time. I, you know what? I, I'm going to help work with my neighbor today. I'm going to have the opportunity to share the love of Jesus with him while we're working. I'm meeting a guy for lunch, and I want to share the gospel with him to help him to understand his need. I just want to encourage a sister in the Lord who's having a very difficult time, and maybe I can just spend my time strategically encouraging her. And it's taken every single time that you have to be able to be available to redeem the time because the days are evil. But here's the third thing. It's a, serious, it's a surrendered walk. I'm to understand what is the will of God. What does that mean? That word understand is I'm to, under, I'm, I'm to understand with acquired knowledge. That means this, I can't know the will of God if I'm not reading the word of God. I can't. I need the word of God. I need to read the word of God. Now, a lot of people say, I just want God's will for my life. What they mean is I want the specific will of God for this issue. And God's more concerned, no, I want you to know the general will of God for your life every day. I want you to know what it means to walk with me. I want you to know what it means to be obedient with me. When you understand my general will for your life every day, then when it comes to this specific thing, you are already prepared for that. But the average Christian wants this without that. And so it's an acquired knowledge. It's studying, it's praying, it's seeking, it's discerning, it's asking counsel of other men and women of God. And as you do all of those things, then you're prepared for the deeper things. So we redeem the time and we must be wise. In other words, we walk in the wisdom of God. So I'm to walk in the light. I'm to walk in his love. I'm to walk in his wisdom. And now three minutes I'm to walk in the spirit. He wraps up this, this section, verse 20, all the way up to 21. He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. 
I'm to walk in the spirit of God. Let me tell you, of all the things that I think we as believers are the weakest in, it is this. And particularly for Protestants and Baptists. I don't know why we have this, this issue with intimacy with the Holy Spirit. But without the Holy Spirit, you and I would not have salvation. Without the Holy Spirit, you and I would not have the ability to overcome sin. Without the Holy Spirit, you and I would not have gifts. We would not have fruit. We would not be like Christ. And we need the Spirit of God. He says, do not be drunk with wine. Alcohol is a depressant. The Holy Spirit is a stimulant. And you walk in him. What are the marks of a person who is filled with the Spirit of God? Let me give you three of them. Well, go, go, go to the next one. Let's just skip those. One, it is a walk of joy. People who are filled with the Spirit are joyful people, speaking to one another in hymns and psalms and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. People who are filled with the Spirit are joyful people. They're always joyful. They have a song in their heart. They're always smiling. They praise the Lord, even if they got a flat tire because they got three with air. And so they are always filled with joy. And the second mark of a person that walks in the Spirit is thanksgiving. They're always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. They're thankful people. They're joyful. They're thankful. They've got a song in the heart. And the third is that they have a walk of submission. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. They walk in humility. They walk in accountability with each other. And they submit to one another in the love and the fear of Christ. So, God is saying, you want to walk like me? Walk in love. Does love characterize your life in giving and forgiving? There's someone here today that you need to forgive. Walk in light. Walk in truth. Don't walk like the world. Walk distinctively different from the world. Are some of you caught in some kind of sinful thing in your life that you feel you can't get out of? Pornography? Maybe some kind of lust. Maybe it's greed. It's what the world pursues. Walk in light. Walk in wisdom. Walk in the word of God that never changes. And then walk in the spirit of God. Yield yourself to the spirit and let him fill you to overflowing. So here's what I want you to do. We've been talking about a renewed mind. I want you to do this for the next 21 days. I want you to find a place and I want you to read through the Psalms. And I want you to read the Psalms just to listen to the magnificence of God. Just read them. And when those characteristics, those attributes come out, just make notes of them in your mind and just listen. Oh my goodness, God is so great. Then spend time in prayer and take the acts. First you adore him. You talk about the adoration. Then you confess your sins, A-C. Then T, give thanksgiving. And S is supplication, acts. And then ask him to show you how to live that out today. Today. Do that for the next 21 days. And you know what you create? A habit. A habit that will renew your heart, renew your mind, and renew your life. I want to encourage you to do that 
for the next days. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that we've heard. I pray that you would encourage us in this and you would remind us of these things this week. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. And we hope that God uses this message in you to transform you more into the image of Christ. If you have any questions about our church or you want to learn more about Jesus, visit our website at scottshill.org slash next steps. Till next time.